This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight on Huckabee, founder of Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, digital illusionist, Keelan Laser, Huck's hero, Nate Knapper, Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter, Paul Overstreet. Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike Well, you may have noticed at the end of our theme song, Trey and the band put together a little tribute to Meatloaf, who passed away this week, and all of us are heartbroken. He was on our show just near the end of September. We think it may have been his last public performance of his own music. Uh, Best we can tell, he played in an impromptu moment, just a song, uh, down at the lower Broadway area in December. But the last televised Uh, special that he had was here on this stage, on this show. We loved him. He was so much fun. Such an amazing and unique talent. And all of us can tell you that he was one of the nicest people. And when it was over, he went around and said thank you and hello to every single person on our team. It just was a great night. You can see all of it online. um, And I hope you will because the energy there was just fantastic. We have a little tribute to Meatloaf with some reminders of his time here with us. Well, Meatloaf died this week at the age of 74. Uh, You might find this interesting, but several years ago, I first met him when he was a guest on my show at Fox News. And we had kept up uh, all these years and would text from time to time. Now, there's not two people who are as different as Meatloaf and Mike Huckabee, okay? I'll be the first to admit that. But for reasons that I don't even know how to explain, we just hit it off. And... uh, When he was here on our stage, he had not been on stage in six years because he'd been battling some very serious health problems, made it difficult for him to be able to perform. And he was really a little nervous about, could he do it? And folks, if you were here that night or if you've seen the video, he nailed it. What a great, great performance. Well, speaking of not so great a performance, 
Joe Biden held his first press conference in 10 months, and it went for almost two long hours. Now, his staff spent the next 24 hours trying to explain away a lot of what he said. I mean, even some of his staunchest disciples in the press had a hard time finding the pony among the many piles, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Look, I try to be generous in talking about political talk. I really do. I'm well aware that some things are said in an impromptu way in the heat of a moment that may not reflect thoughtful or balanced views. I also know that sometimes we simply say things that are wrong, or we say things that we think may be true, even if later it turns out not to be. I want to assure you that in my 30 years in this arena, I have done, I've done plenty of both. So I'm careful not to use the word lies when it's possible that someone simply misspoke or they had a lapse of memory or command of the facts. But there are times when there is no other explanation for something said than this simple reality that an outright lie has been spoken. I'll give an example, when a politician is reading from a teleprompter, what that means is that there is a carefully written, edited, and vetted script that has been reviewed by a number of people. One can't say, oh, I just used the wrong words. Now, here are some things being said that are just plain lies. Number one, gutting the filibuster in the Senate is not a way to save democracy. But that's exactly what Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, and most of the Senate Democrats are saying. In fact, the filibuster was put in place to protect the minority from the tyranny of the majority. Big decisions should require big majorities, and the filibuster protects hot-headed politicians who barely have a majority from imposing terrible policies on the other half of the country without at least having a thorough debate. In 2020, Democrats loved them some filibuster. Oh, they did. Historically, the Democrats pretty much believe the filibuster was delivered on two tablets of stone postmarked Mount Sinai. In fact, in 2020, they used it 327 times in that year alone. The Republicans, by the way, only used it once. In fact, here is what some Democrats, including Joe Biden, said about the filibuster not all that long ago. We should make no mistake. This nuclear option is ultimately an example of the arrogance of power. Without the 60-vote threshold for legislation, the Senate becomes a majoritarian institution like the House, much more subject to the winds of short-term electoral change. There is a practical concern that I have, which is, were it not in place, they probably would have run roughshod over Planned Parenthood. Did you catch that? Now, every one of them were talking about their defense of the filibuster and how important it was, because it will save democracy. Suddenly, I guess they're not interested in saving democracy. That's the only thing I can figure. Or they were lying, either then or now, but it can't be all of those things. Here's another big fat lie. The Democrats' so-called voting rights bill, they say it's about protecting the right to vote. That is a lie. This bill gives the federal government the power to run the elections in every state instead of having the people in your state oversee their own elections. By the way, this bill would prohibit voter ID to vote, even though 80% of Americans, including Democrats, believe that we ought to have it. 
And just like the devil who went down to Georgia in Charlie Daniels' classic song, Joe Biden went down to Georgia and he said those who are opposed to his power grab to make cheating in elections legal and who won't insist on voting only by legal citizens are purging the voting rolls of dead people and not allowing mass voting by mail without knowing who's casting the votes. He said that that would be siding with Jim Crow laws and it would be like taking the side of racists of the 60s like George Wallace and Bull Connor. Gosh, he forgot to mention that the KKK was started by Democrats. Or that Governors George Wallace, Lester Maddox, and Ross Barnett were all Democrats. And the chair of Bull Connor was the Democrat National Committeeman from Alabama when he was firehosing people of color. And the Voting Rights Act 1965 would never have passed without Republicans. Now, the press predictably plays along with this scam, calling this license to cheat legislation is about voting rights. It isn't. It's about the right to cheat. And it's a lie when Joe Biden says that his agenda to spend another $5 trillion on a hodgepodge of government giveaways is being held up by those nasty Republicans. His own party has stopped that legislation. Thank God they have. I mean, he's got Democrat majorities in the House and the Senate, and they got the White House. It's simply a lie to say that Republicans are blocking his massive move to bring socialism to America. Can I just tell you, don't trust what the media tells you. Look at the facts for yourself. The same internet giants that try to control the news and stifle the views of conservative Christians and pro-life people can't rewrite the actual records of what's been said or done. So sure, I'm telling you, cut some slack when people make some honest mistakes when they speak. But don't ever let people who are supposed to be your servants get away with lying to you. Not now, not tomorrow, not ever. Well, my first guest tonight has been targeted by almost every major news organization in the country for speaking truth to power, which is, I thought, what we're supposed to do. Well, now he's been targeted by the FBI. Late last month, agents raided James O'Keefe's apartment as well as the apartments of two of his journalists in what appears to be a direct violation of the First Amendment. They even took personal notes from interviews. James is here with us tonight to tell us why that happened and to talk to us about how far journalism has slipped into the abyss. He's the author of a brand new, powerful book called American Muckraker. Would you welcome James O'Keefe? I think you're a little more popular here than you are in the halls of Congress in Washington. Well, that's right. Well, I like operating <laughs> behind enemy lines, including in New York State, where our office is headquartered. You had the most uh, bizarre thing happen to you a month ago. Your, your apartment was raided. Now, they didn't give you advance notice or call your attorney and say, look, we need to sit down in a conference and there's some things that we need to check out. So what happened? Well, uh, a source transmitted us Ashley Biden, the daughter of Pre the President Joe Biden's diary. Um, we got that document sent to us. We tried to corroborate it. We failed. We tried to authenticate it. We could not verify it was hers. 
this was in about October of 2020. A year later, um, federal agents showed up at my door. There were about 10 to 12 of them. They had a battering ram at 6 a.m. They came into my apartment and raided my apartment, took my two iPhones, and uh, put me in handcuffs, threw me against the hallway wall in my apartment building. It was, it was terribly shocking. It was a violation of my constitutional rights. Um, the federal judge in New York ordered them stop going through my phones, but this was so egregious that even the ACLU and the Reporters Committee came to my defense. And uh, this wasn't just an attack against me. It was an attack against principles so fundamental in this country, the First Amendment. And what I've written this book, which is about information they don't want you to have. We're, we, we are independent journalists. We publish information, not the authorized information, because in our country, we have to have informed consent. So it was terribly traumatizing experience, but uh, we continue to do our work. You have been uh, targeted and sued on many occasions. You've never settled. That's never been your approach. We've never lost a lawsuit. In fact, just this past year, we won a historic victory in the defamation case against the, uh, against the New York Times. We sued the New York Times for defamation, got past motion to dismiss the judge in New York State, arguing it was the New York Times that engaged in disinformation and deception against us. James, what I don't understand, you did not release this diary that you could not authenticate. Right. So in other words, there was, it's like no harm, no foul. Because someone gave it to you, you didn't ask for it. Um, as a journalist, it's, it's not illegal for you to receive material, but you didn't publish it. That's correct. It's kind of a dystopian nightmare because what should I have done? I mean, yeah. if you stumble upon something and you look into it, your, your ethical responsibility is to try to corroborate it. Yeah. I failed to do that. At least I thought I failed to do that. I did not publish Joe Biden's daughter's diary. I did not know if the contents in the diary occurred, and I wasn't certain it was hers. So the question is, for, these, for the Department of Justice, Joe Biden's Department of Justice is, what did you want me to do? Yeah. What, what would an ethical human being or, or journalist do? We did everything we could. We tried to give it back to um, Ashley Biden. They refused to receive it. I contacted Joe Biden for comment. Of course, they didn't want to give me a comment. So I returned it to law enforcement to make sure the diary went to its rightful owner. And then they raided my home. And it was terrifying. And uh, I, I think that uh, the, Supreme, well, the Supreme Court of the United States has protected the right of a journalist in a Supreme Court case called Bartnicki v. Vopper, as you said, to receive documents. Even if the documents were stolen, we don't know if they were. We don't think they were. As long as I didn't participate in that theft, it's the right of a journalist to receive information from a source. So this is really about equality before the law. It was an attack against, again, principles. And if anything, it's emboldened us. Just last week, we released a document inside the Department of Defense showing how Anthony Fauci may have lied about gain-of-function research. So a lot of these whistleblowers I write about in this book, they've got nowhere else to go. They certainly can't go to the New York Times with their information so they go to Project Veritas. James, a lot of the things that you do with Project Veritas, you do with undercover journalists, and you know you have an ability to sit down and, and, and frankly, get stuff out of people that is shocking, whether it's a CNN producer who admits that there is a uh, very focused and ordered bias within the network to go against conservatives. And then when you publish what is their own voices and their own uh, video, pictures of them in person. They get mad at you rather than get mad at the people who are unethical. That's right. That control room director we recorded inside CNN, his name was Charlie Chester. And he was on tape saying, uh, we got Trump out. Uh, we, pro we use propaganda. In fact, 
Charlie Chester brags on the video, we want the deaths to be higher, more death numbers on CNN screen because that drives up ratings. And he says, fear sells. And it's all about fear. Those are the actual words. Those are his words, not mine. Yeah. Now I was banned from Twitter for quoting the man at CNN. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) That's why you got, I knew you were banned from Twitter. That was the proximate cause of my being banned, those videos against the CNN control room director. And there's this, and if this sounds like science fiction, well, truth is stranger than fiction. Um, there's, a, there's a relationship between media and, and the government, pharmaceutical companies. There's this symbiotic relationship. And you can't trust journalists anymore to expose them. Has to be us. Has to be outside, independent people who are free from these sorts of conflicts of interest. Well, thank goodness you're there. In fact, I, I want to tell you, uh, Twitter may ban you. We won't ban you here. We've got a lot more to talk about with James O'Keefe. We are going to keep him after the break. I know you want to hear more of what he's uh, up to. I do, too. This is his book. We're going to be talking about that. But also, why this matters to you. We'll be right back. Do not go away. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. We are with Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe. His new book, and it is sizzling. It's called American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. You can pre-order your copy right now, or you can pick it up wherever books are sold starting Tuesday. James, thanks for sticking around. We weren't about to let you get away until we've had some more conversation. You guys got your start back in 2009. You basically single-handedly did the country a favor by getting rid of ACORN, right? Yeah, we... We, we exposed ACORN, uh, a colleague of mine, Hannah Giles, she was then 20, I was then 24, went around the country wearing a hidden camera in my tie. Uh, she presented herself as a prostitute, and I was pretending to be her pimp, went undercover and did this sort of citizen sting operation, exposing the fact that they were in these meetings with ACORN officials. And again, ACORN was from Arkansas. Yeah, originally. they started there, believe Wade, me. Wade Rathke, and Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, Barack Obama, President Barack Obama was an attorney for ACORN. We went into these offices and they gave us tax advice on how to disguise the underage prostitutes on our tax forms, uh, disguising them as dancers and performing artists. The videos were, were so shocking, it, it would evoke audible gasps from people. We did this with no money. Veritas was in its inception phase. And, uh, you know, it was a scary thing to do. We did it. 
released the tapes one at a time in September of 2009, and within one week, the democratically controlled House and Senate voted to defund ACORN President Obama, signing that legislation because two kids from effectively the cast of High School Musical 3 dressed as a pimp and hooker went in there with a hidden camera. What is the single thing you're most proud of that Project Veritas has uncovered? Because, I mean, there are dozens of things that you guys have exposed that the mainstream media didn't have the courage to touch. So there's got to be something as you look over the past 20 years and say, this, this is what really matters to me. I think there was one moment in September of this past year, about four months ago, we exposed a teacher in Sacramento, California, named Gabriel Guype, whistleblower in the school, had a picture of an Antifa flag in, in the classroom. So we went to a coffee shop to covertly record this teacher, and he told us, and I can't say it on television what he said, but I can paraphrase it, he wanted to screw with your kids and scare them. And he sends these children to Antifa rallies to give them school credit. And he was stamping homework assignments with Joe Stalin, an ink stamp of his face. This is a, I mean, a, this is a public this is school. On, yes, in Sacramento. Taxpayer-funded school. Yes. And he had a T-shirt with a hammer and sickle on it. It was so crazy, it was almost hard to believe. We released this video on September 1st, and hundreds of outraged parents went to this school board meeting. It was live-streamed. This is right before all these other school board meetings happened. And the parents were not Democrats or Republicans. They weren't left or right. They were just outraged sort of mama bears. Yeah. And they were just so indignant. And that moment, to me, I, it felt like a moment of consensus. It felt like that, that everyone was united. And it was all happening because of this one video of this guy. And that's our, our, our mission. Everything we try to do is, is forge consensus. Our country is so divided and it's unfortunate that we are because there's only one truth. There's only one set of facts. You're not entitled to multiple realities. Exactly. James, you may have a political point of view, but, but I get the impression, and in fact, I've seen some of the work you've done, you'll go after anyone who is abusing the taxpayer or abusing the truth. Why don't other media outlets, why are we not seeing that from the Washington Post, the New York Times, from CBS, from the other networks, why not? That's a very in-depth conversation I have in this book about the history of journalism, but it comes down to, I think, a tension in journalism between what I call access and autonomy. I think journalists have gotten so cozy for what little journalists are left, have gotten so cozy with their government sources, they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. They don't want to dig deep into the FBI. Within minutes of my, being, my home being raided, I was just fresh out of handcuffs, I got a text message from the New York Times, and somehow that national security reporter knew the contents of the document that I was holding in my hands. Why isn't the New York Times investigating the FBI? It seems like they're working in harmony with them. So, and then on the other hand, you get too adversarial, and that can engender its own partisan factions. Veritas goes where no one else will go, and our stories are determined by the whistleblowers, by these brave people I write about, people inside Google, and Pinterest, and the Department of Defense. There's a lot of good people working in education, working in the government, and they have to, I guess, follow their conscience. They have to come forward with the information about what's happening, because we can't, we can't trust the press to do that at this point. What, what scares you the most? Is there something that just puts a chill down your spine about what's happening in this country? What I'm, I wouldn't say I'm, what scares me, but what I'm concerned about is people being so afraid. Yeah. The moment you stop, and I write this in the book at the end, 
The moment you stop caring about what they write about you and what they think about you is the moment you're actually free to be effective as a journalist. Let me just tell you that uh, obviously you're not too afraid. You've done stuff that most of us would be scared to death to go. You've been where angels have feared to uh, tread. I really think people, when they read this book, will have a better understanding. I hope that people will buy it. It'll help you. But they can also contribute to Project Veritas to keep you going because you're not getting sponsored by any of the major woke corporations of America. So we're going to make sure our audience knows how to help you do that. James O'Keefe, I want to say thank you for joining us and most of all for the work that you're doing through Project Veritas. To find out more about Project Veritas and James O'Keefe's wonderful new book, American Muckraker. It goes on sale Tuesday. You can pre-order it right now. Go to Huckabee.tv. We have links to the book, to Project Veritas, and much more that James O'Keefe is doing. Now, Keith Bilbury has done his own investigating into the future of this show, and now he's going to tell you what he has uncovered. Let's find out. Well, next, Huck's hero, Nate Napper, then digital illusionist, Keelan Laser. Stay with Huckabee. Where people are without food, shelter, and hope, Samaritan's Purse is on the move to deliver the basic needs of the body, mind, and soul. And they're able to stay in motion by the grace of God and the graciousness of financial gifts from people just like you. I hope you'll visit the Samaritan's Purse website, or you can call them. Do it today. Give the gift that God has put on your heart. And on their behalf, I would say thank you and God bless you. Well, as a federal law enforcement officer, my next guest has helped a lot of victims of human trafficking and child exploitation. But what they really needed was legal help. And what he did for them is the reason he's this week's Huck's Hero. that when you deal with a trafficking survivor, they have a variety of legal needs when they come out of an exploitation scenario. The Joseph Project was founded on the premise that every identifiable human trafficking survivor should be connected with skilled pro bono legal counsel to connect a survivor, not just with a lawyer, but with a lawyer who is most and best positioned to be able to serve the specific need that exists. Having those charges on my record was like a nightmare. Every time, which your background is ran when you get an apartment, it's ran when you get a job, and it prevents me from moving on. What's so cool about the Joseph Project is, is they tie everything that the survivor has been through to trafficking. And so when you call and say, hey, we have this situation, this is a survivor of human trafficking, it's easy for me to explain, and they're like, oh, Where's my, where's my pen? I'm signing the dismissal. It's super cool to hear how relieved they get. I'm just overcome with gratitude. I'm so grateful that the past is really over and that I'm walking in my purpose. 
the power of an advocate is so poignant in this system, this arrangement, that I think that if you communicated that to somebody that's still out there in need of these services, I think it would be a point of hope for them that there's an option for me, there's a way out. He's the founder of the Joseph Project, the federal law enforcement officer. Would you please give a big welcome to our Hux hero, Nate Knapper. Nate, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. Where does the name Joseph Project come from? Yeah, the name, this is the uh, story from the biblical book of Genesis, right? So it's the person with the colored coat, who mm. I assume your, your audience will know very oh, yeah. well. And, uh, you know, when we think of, of Joseph, we think of a human trafficking survivor, right? This is a person who was sold into mm. Egyptian slavery by his own brothers. We might say he was commercially exploited for labor services through force. But uh, what you learn as you read the narrative of Joseph is that while his circumstances go from bad to worse, you have a God who's with him at every mm. step of the way. And because of that, he's able to keep faith. He's able to persevere. And ultimately, he finds himself second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. So he lives his dreams from earlier in his life, and he forgives his brothers who trafficked him along the way. And so, you know, when we think of his story, we think of a survivor who transitioned, right, from exploitation to empowerment. And that's the transition that we want to facilitate for every survivor of trafficking that we serve. One of the things that makes your organization so unique, and I'd never really thought about it before, a person who has been trafficked, they need legal help. They do. They need lawyers to help them in that transition. Uh, I don't know of anyone else who's doing that. So what kind of legal help is so vital for these people who have been treated like property, like things, like toys? It's just awful to think of how they've been dealt with. What is it that can be helpful to them from a legal perspective? Yeah, and that's the tragedy of it, right? So not only are you being exploited, you know, you're being trafficked, but then when you come out of an exploitation scenario, you are then immediately confronted with what we would call legal collateral damage. This is the damage that comes to you from a legal perspective as a result of human trafficking. And many times it looks like criminal record relief. You know, yeah. there are uh, criminal issues that arise on a person's record as a result of being trafficked. So you know, these are things like uh, prostitution-related charges that need to be expunged or set aside from a person's record. Perhaps you could uh, request an expungement or even a pardon in some cases from a governor or even a president if the situation arose. So you have criminal record issues that arise. And then we see a lot of family law issues as well. And oftentimes that takes the form of a person who is separated from their child, for example, as a result of being trafficked. And now they've come out of that lifestyle and they're seeking to reestablish custody uh, with, uh, with their child, perhaps. So we see criminal and family law issues quite a bit. I think it is sometimes lost in us how big an issue trafficking is of human beings. Because mm -hmm. if we're not living in the middle of it, if we don't have someone in their family or immediate, we may not understand just how big this is. Yeah. So how big is this issue in America today? Sure. Well, it, it's, it's big around the world. It's big in the United States of America. I think the ILO would estimate 40 million slaves around the world today. 40 million. Around the world. Around the world. Yep, that's the International Labor Organization. <sighs> So it's, it's obviously a huge, huge number. And we know that there are thousands and thousands of those slaves that exist right here in the United States of America. And, you know, this is National Anti-Trafficking Month. And so when you think about the fact that our federal government is uh, taking time and taking an effort to, to recognize that this is a big problem, 
and it's something that should be confronted with all the force, all the rigor that we have. I think that's a beautiful thing, that we should push back against that kind of modern-day slavery. It's a darkness that needs to be weeded out. What was your personal genesis of getting into this and, and wanting to help these, uh, these kids? What, what made you say, I got to do something? Yeah, yeah, it was really my interactions with a survivor that I had met uh, actually at a church service. Yeah. You know, I was working as a federal law enforcement officer and I encountered a survivor and uh, she had a horrific story of exploitation, worse than, than most that I had ever heard. She was stabbed, uh, I think, nine times. Uh, she was uh, attempted to have drowned her in the bathtub, and then they spoke of burning her alive. Oh my gosh. And eventually, uh, her exploiter uh, determined that uh, she was so injured uh, and close to death that she was going to die right in the apartment there where they were, unless he took her to the hospital. And so he drives her to a local hospital and uh, leaves her on the doorstep and drives away. Now, the hospital treats her for her injuries, and thank God she made a full recovery. But she was charged the medical bills associated with her own assault. And she doesn't know anything about that. And so when she doesn't have the means to pay those charges, the hospital starts coordinating with a collection agency and a law firm to sue her for the bills associated with her for own being assault. a victim of crime. For being a victim of crime. That's right. And it's more common than you might think. And so... You know, I was able to connect her, thank God, with um, a couple of incredible lawyers in the Detroit area, Matt and Amanda Pallets are their names, and they were able to resolve the whole situation. Delyn is doing much better today. Her name is Delyn, a friend of mine. I know she would be comfortable with me sharing. And uh, Amanda Pallets is the legal director of the Joseph Project today, so that was our very first case. I'd say you're doing the Lord's work. Yeah, friend. yeah, thank you. God bless you. Nate, thank you for joining us and for the work that you're doing through the Joseph Project. I know that you're going to want to learn more about what they're doing. I hope that you will help them. Uh, and here's how to do it. Get involved by going to Huckabee.tv. On the website, there is going to be a link to the Joseph Project, and I hope that you will join with them. Thank the Lord for what you are doing, Nate. Thank you so much, Governor. No doubt why he's our Huck's hero tonight. Keith Bilbrey's standing by. He's going to tell us what we have coming up next. Oh, I can't wait. Coming up next, digital illusionist Keelan Laser. Later, Grammy Award winner Paul Overstreet on Huckabee. Welcome back, but would you join me in giving a little bit of appreciation, or maybe a whole lot, to the very best live band in the country. I'm talking Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Thanks, guys. Thank you. My next guest is a multi-award-winning magician. He's performed all over the world. You've seen him on things like Masters of Illusion and Penn and Teller Fool Us. He's taking magic into the future with some cutting-edge technology, from iPads and drones to virtual reality. I can't wait, and I know you can't either. Would you welcome digital illusionist Keelan Laser? Thank you for that lovely intro. It is an honor to be here. Today, I'm going to be teaching someone how you can take a traditional 
mind-reading experiment and utilizing technology, bring it bang up to date. But for this, I need my student to be suave, sophisticated, and because we have to look you on the screen, someone who is impeccably well-dressed. Unfortunately, we couldn't find anyone who fits that description. <laughs> so we're gonna have to settle for Trey. <laughs> Trey, you're gonna go uh... on a journey, my friend, a mind-reading journey to read the mind of the lovely Laurie. Have you ever wanted to read Laurie's mind before? No. No. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say every day, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> it's gonna be very easy, Laurie. We have 52 different cards. All I need you to do, Laurie, is to choose one of these. The way you're gonna do that is just by pointing to any one. So you can see they're all different. I just want you to point to the back of any one that you like. Just point to the back of any one you like. Which one would you like? That one right there. Take it out for me. Let's have a look. Take it out. Keep it towards yourself. Do not show me. Do not show Trey. Trey, I want you to take the palms of your hands like this. Cover over your eye sockets like this, trapping out all light entering your eyes. I'm going to be doing the same. When I cover my eyes, I want you to show everyone at home, show the audience, and make sure that you all see it and you all remember it. Is that done? Is the card now hidden away, Laurie? Is it safe for us to open our eyes? Yes. It is. Trey, you can open your eyes. This is my wife, Angela, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. Now, Trey, I'm going to start you off. Okay. I'm going to draw a pack of cards on this uh, device. Now, I've been doing card tricks since a very early age, since I was four years old. Probably explains why I didn't get my first girlfriend until I was 28. <laughs> I'm only kidding, I was 32. <laughs> you appreciate that, Trey, don't you? Yes. <laughs> now, I have drawn a blank deck of cards in it. I need you to fill in the, the deck. Okay. We're going to do that. You're just going to touch the screen. You're going to move your finger around the deck okay. to draw a playing card. Keep it towards yourself. Just tap the screen, move the finger around the deck to draw. And while he's doing that, I want you to think of your card over and over in your mind. Keep thinking of your card. Sending the thoughts to Trey. Sending the thoughts to Trey. Trey, yes or no, is there a card on your device? Yes, there is. Okay, let's have a look. Okay. The Queen of Hearts, yes or no, did Trey get it right? The Queen of Hearts. It really isn't? Trey got it wrong. Ugh. No surprise there. It's Trey, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Fantastic musician. <laughs> Terrible magician. <laughs> it's not your fault, fault, Trey, it's my fault. I should use the governor. <laughs> but it's okay, Trey, we can work this out. I'm gonna draw a quick sketch of you, Trey. And I'm gonna draw a quick sketch of you, Laurie. So Laurie, if you look at me, Trey, you can look what you like. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me just finish it off. Okay, we have Trey and we have Laurie. Oh, that's good. Perfect. Trey looks pleased. Perfect. Laurie, not so pleased. <laughs> Trey, you are going to go on a Mission Impossible journey to find Laurie's selected card. So we have Trey, we have Laurie, we have a pack of cards. All we need now is some dramatic music. Let's take it away.
Wow. Our thanks to the amazing Keelan Laser. And if you want to see more of the incredible digital illusions, and I bet you do, or if you want to follow him on social media, go to our high-tech site. May not be quite as high-tech as what he's doing, but go to Huckabee.tv. We have a lot more information. I am standing here amazed. But folks, Keith Bilbrey, he's standing over there. And I'll tell you this, he is no tech wizard. The one thing he can do he can pull a guest out of a hat and tell us who they are coming up in the show. We're gonna let him do it right now. Well, next, country music chart topper Paul Overstreet is on Huckabee. week on Huckabee, Congressman Lauren Boebert and Paula Dean. I am still trying to figure out how Keelan did that. I have no idea. But I'll tell you, this next guest of ours, he's also a magician of sorts because he's a Grammy Award-winning country music songwriter and recording artist. He makes magic with music. We all know and love the songs that he's written. You know, like Randy Travis's song, Forever and Ever, Amen, and When You Say Nothing at All, which, by the way, was recorded both by Keith Whitley and later Alison Krauss. He's also written The Judd's Love Can Build a Bridge. His songs are country music masterpieces. Will you please welcome Paul Overstreet. You know, like a lot of people, you moved to Nashville and you were going to make your mark in the country music world. It wasn't overnight, was it? It was not. It was a, it was a long while, actually. But I thought, it, I thought it was going to be overnight. <laughs> Most everyone does. I, I know, right? So I came, I, people were like, you're going to have to get a job. And I was like, I ain't getting a job. I'm, I'm going to do music. George Jones recorded one of your songs. That had to have been a breakthrough. That was kind of that was kind of my first really a big hit. So it got me off the streets. At that point, I kind of had knew where I was going to sleep and where the next meal was. <laughs> Before that, you were in your car. Is that where you? I were? slept in my car some, and then I slept. At, I slept all around. But then I, you know, I'd go like from one apartment to the next, and um, 
you got more friends than I must have had because I would never have been able to do that. They would have thrown me out. But you didn't give up, and I think that's what's remarkable. You know, I think uh, I think a big part of it is I think if I knew how hard it was, difficult it was before I came, I yeah. might have thought more about not coming, but I think I'm glad I did because it, you go through a lot of hard times, and a lot of my friends back home were, they were getting mortgages and getting houses and raising families, and I'm still trying to get a hit. You know, I was like, it started to started to worry me a little bit. Paul, I've always been fascinated when a songwriter writes a song. I mean, you got a big hit like Randy Travis's Forever and Ever, Amen, one of the absolute great country songs of all time. Mm. And I, I mean, a master hit. Yeah. You got to feel good about when you give birth to something and you give it away and somebody makes a hit. But what about when you write a song, an artist takes it, you think it's going to be a hit, and it doesn't turn out to be. Do you ever say, man, I should have just kept that one and done it myself? Uh, well, I tell you a, a story about, uh, on the other hand, was the first song that Randy... Another great one. Yeah, he had a big hit on that. And so I, I was at that place where I was going to have a record deal. It was, it was upcoming, but it ha hadn't gotten there yet. But we had pitched the song for Dan Seals, same producer, yeah. But he said, I'm, it's, I don't hear it for Dan, but I hear it for a new artist, Randy Travis. And so they said, we'd like to cut it on Randy. And I said, it's a new artist? You know, that was, <laughs> so that's the story you're talking yeah. about. I'm like, should I keep it, you know? And I probably would have had to acquiesce to the other guys because they probably wanted to give it to him. I, but nobody knew who he was at that time. It was wow. just a new artist. Yeah. And, so I remember one day I was driving down the music row and a little Bible verse went through my head. And I always know, I always figure that's God just talking to you. You know, it's like, it's more blessed to give than receive. Mm. And so I went, uh, and I, I was thinking about that song when that happened and I just went, yeah, sure. So I just said, yeah, let's do it. And five million albums later. <laughs> and a, and oh a royalty <laughs> on every last one of them. I bet yeah. your family has appreciated your saying, yeah, oh, yeah, more yeah. <laughs> blessed to give than receive. Oh, absolutely. Because I, you know, and it, but the other thing is the more songs you give away, I think the more songs you write. And so yeah. I don't ever, I don't re really hold on to things. Even when I was making my records, I would pitch everything because my co-writers didn't deserve for me to sit for six months and hold a song. You know, I, we write all the time. So the more songs we wrote, the more songs I would just uh, pitch. And if it didn't get cut when it was my turn to do a record, yeah. then I would record it. Well, you know, you've written some, and we're going to perform them with you tonight. That's and right. And I'm excited about it because we, first of all, would love for you to get Paul Overstreet's great music. You can go to the website Huckabee.tv for a connection on how to do that. But after the break, Paul is going to perform his hit song, All the Fun. And I'm going to have all the fun because I'm going to get to play with him on bass. Do not go away. We're going to be right back. After the show, go to Huckabee.tv to watch an online exclusive performance by Paul Overstreet performing his international hit, When You Say Nothing At All. Now, here to perform with our very own Trey Corley in the Music City Connection with Mike on bass is Paul Overstreet. Well, the guys that are working 
hard and they like to have a good time. And at the end of the day, it's your time to play and they like to go and unwind. Well, they make a lot of jokes and they laugh and they poke fun at because I don't stay long. Can't understand why married man is in a hurry to ever go home. Well, I just tell them that. She loves romance and she throws a great party. No, never any dawn, and it's around here. Something always a going on. All the fun that a man could want, I got will for me at home. Hey, I used to be a fool and a sucker for a high time. Anytime, night or day And around the clock Smiles call me And I will be readily on my way But to tell you the truth I was lonesome and blue Praying for a little light in my life Then a miracle came And everything changed When I made that little woman my wife Let me tell you that Those are great parties. Don't let it around here. Some more is a fun home. All the fun that a man could want, I got a will for me at home. Right at home. We got six little kids calling me. Yeah, I got all 